Welcome to Heidi's Lemonade Stand, where we celebrate the triumphs of people who have overcome their own life's challenges and made our world better. People who have taken life's lemons and made lemonade. I am Heidi, your host. Thank you for joining me. Kristen, welcome to the Lemonade Stand. I'm so excited to talk to you today. I have heard your podcast and have been dying to be able to talk to you myself. So thank you so much for joining me. Of course. I'm really, really excited for this opportunity. And I love how we got connected too. I think it's so awesome. (laughs) Through my baby boy. He's pretty great. (laughs) Yeah, I had him. He's friends with my he was friends with my sister and then he reached out and he was on my podcast and then you heard that episode and then you reached out to me. It's, it's so, so fun how connections yeah. work. I love it. I'm so yeah, grateful. As soon as I heard your podcast with my son, I'm like, oh, I'm interviewing her now. This is <laughs> amazing. I have to hear her story. So first you got to tell you. me three things about yourself and then I want to hear your lemon to lemonade story. Okay. Just like fun things. Sure. Whatever you want. Okay. Okay. So I am a mom of two little kiddos. Uh, My daughter, she is six, just turned six. And then my son is like 19 months, almost 20 months. So yeah, they are like my pride and joy. I just love them. They are so much fun. And I love, I love being a mom. Um, Now I can say that. (laughs) I mean, of course I have my days, but I love love being a mom. I love everything outdoors. So I used to be a snowboard instructor, met my husband. He was a skiing instructor. So we met at work while we were attending college. And so that's like our one thing that we have in common. He's a skier. I snowboard. I'm actually learning how to ski. Um, and we're teaching our daughter how to ski. And I've always like, since dating him, I've been like, oh, it'd be so cool to be one of those families that go and go to different ski resorts. And so that's my dream. It's, it's really fun, but yeah, he's more into sports. I'm terrible at anything that has to do with a ball and coordination. I'm just awful. Um, and I'm my, me and my family are more into music and he is very tone deaf. So I'm hoping our kids get a little bit of both, both sides, but, um, yeah, it's fun to have that in common with him, but I love hiking. I love running. I love just being outside, being outdoors. I love it all seasons. So I'm here in Southern Oregon now, and I'm loving that we get to enjoy all four seasons. It's fantastic. Um, and then, like I said, I like, I love music. So I write music. Um, if you're wanting me to, I could even share a piece today. Possibly. I also write poetry. Um, so I, I love I love just creating something through words and I play the violin as well. So yeah, I, I love, love music and that's me in a nutshell. (laughs) That is a great you. It sounds like you just got a lot of good things going for you. So that's so awesome. I love it. Of course, I'd love to hear your music. That would be great. So sounds good. So I think your lemon to lemonade has something to do with your podcast. I know my son, Cameron was friends with your sister. And a lot of your podcast that you spoke with him about has to do with your sister. Is that why you started your podcast? So it's a part of my journey. It's a piece of my journey. It was kind of, yeah, I mean, there's so many layers to my story and that was a big layer. And then it of course affected me in the future, affected future layers. So yeah, it is, it is a big part of my story, but it wasn't the reason, the sole reason why I started a podcast and I can, I can get into that for sure. (laughs) Whatever your lemon to lemonade is, I'd love to hear it. Okay. Yeah, of course. I'll just jump right in. I'll start way back when I was younger, I was pretty shy I was very insecure and I had two best friends in the whole wide world who I would share my soul with everyone else. I kind of wore a bit of a mask with, um, I, I wasn't super authentic. I had really close, very kind friends, but I wasn't completely a hundred percent myself around them. But the two people that I was myself around and that I knew I could turn to for anything were my sister, Kimber and my mom. And they were just, they were my rock. Like whenever I was having a bad day, Kimber could make me smile, could make me laugh, could just get my head out of any 
crappy space it was in. She was just that person for me. And I felt heard and seen and understood when I was around her. Um, she just kind of shone a beautiful light and just uplifted me any, any time I was around her. And so, yeah, around that, like junior high, high school, around those, those difficult years where I was trying to figure out like, who am I? What is my purpose? Like life is, was kind of challenging during that time. Um, I actually had a really great high school experience, but, but they, my mom and my sister just helped me through every, every hard thing. So then I, I moved away, went to college and it was hard for me to be away from my mom and my sister. And whenever Kimber would come to visit me at college, I loved to see her. We would go on hikes, we'd go on runs. Um, we also would sing together. We just, she got me and I got her and I was so, I called her my angel. Like I remember in college, I, I gave a talk at church one time and it was about angels. And I talked specifically about Kimber and I just said, you know, she's my angel in life. Like I just, she, I love her. And I remember just being emotional when I gave that talk, thinking about her and just the love that I had and have for her. I ended up getting married during school and Kimber was going to SUU, same, same school at the same time that I was after I got married. And so same thing, I was going through some challenging time. I was dental in dental hygiene school and, and that was really hard for me. I actually really loved my prerequisites. Um, I loved anatomy, physiology, all those, those classes leading up to dental hygiene school, but dental hygiene school was a difficult time. I was a, a newlywed. Um, I still was struggling with this whole, like, who am I kind of identity crisis and confusion. And then I was into this program, this very rigorous dental hygiene program with 19 other students, 18 of them women, and they were all just seemed perfect to me. And so I felt like kind of the odd one out. I didn't, I felt like I remember thinking all the time, like, I'm just awkward. Like, I just don't feel comfortable in my own skin. I, I remember just really struggling and Kimber would come over and she would just relieve that. Like she, she just knew how to do that more than anybody else. Fast forward after that, I graduated from dental hygiene school and we moved and he started pharmacy school. And so I moved away from Kimber, but I was closer to my mom and I really missed her. And during that time, I feel like we, we weren't as close Kimber and I, we weren't living in the same area. Um, I was busy working full time. I was doing my bachelor's online and I was, I also got pregnant. Um, and, and she was busy kind of doing her own thing and entered a faith crisis and just a very, very big changes in her life. And I didn't feel like I could really truly be there for her um, during that time, which has is, is been hard for me. This was in 2015. So I was 25. Um, I had my daughter. She was eight months old. And I knew that Kimber was struggling, but I didn't know to what extent she was struggling. And I received a call from my dad. Um, I remember exactly where I was. I remember standing kind of by my front door. We lived in a basement at the time and my daughter was sitting on the floor and, and I got the call from my dad and my knees just dropped to the floor and I just started sobbing like uncontrollably. And all I could think to say was why, 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 why? And I just, I kept repeating that. And my dad was in the airport at the time. They were actually, my parents were in Oregon celebrating their anniversary when they got the call that she had been missing. And so they booked their first flight that they could home and found out that she was found and had taken her own life, um, while they were in the airport. And so my dad is, he is, he is like rock solid. Like never, I never see him cry. Um, I mean, I do more so now, but growing up, like he never cried. Like he just seemed very, very strong. He is, he's a very strong man. Um, and to hear him just completely lose it in a public place, um, 
And then I just remember that phone call, my dad was sobbing and I was sobbing and I was just saying, why, why all over and over again. And he was saying, I don't know, Kristen, I don't know. It just broke me. Like it, it's hard to explain, I think shock and just in the depths of despair. And I remember my daughter started crying because I was losing it and she was confused. And my husband, thankfully, luckily was there at the time and grabbed my daughter and went in the other room. And I just had these moments of just being collapsed on the floor, trying to process that she was gone. So after that, I went to her funeral and Um, it's, it's all kind of a blur (laughs) the next year. I spent a lot of time processing. And during that time, my husband was working and going to school. And so he was gone basically from six in the morning to 11 o'clock at night every day and was working weekends as well. So I didn't see my husband. Thankfully I had my mom and I had, you know, my family, I had my brother's to turn to. And I had friends that were close by to turn to. And, um, it was actually kind of nice in a way that he was gone all night because I would put my daughter to bed at around eight 30. And then I would sit down and I would just pour my soul into music and into poetry. And my, my sister was an incredible musician. She just had this natural ability with music that was amazing to me. Um, she's so talented and she got to the point at the last year of her life where she just wrote song after song after song. And I remember asking her like, this is, this is a new thing. Cause she used to get really, really nervous to play in front of people. And then all of a sudden it felt like it seemed like to me that a switch just flipped off and she was like, you know, I'm just going to share what I create and it's fine. And I was really envious of that. So I remember asking her, you know, how did this change come to be? And she told me, Kristen, it's better to create something than to create nothing at all. And you can take anything, anything that's in your mind and put it down on paper. And that's better than just an empty page. And so that really stuck with me. And especially after she died, I was like, I'm going to take all of this pain and all of this just all these terrible feelings and I'm going to make something out of it. That was extremely healing to me. I wasn't going to therapy at the time, but that was my therapy just to be able to process. And I did about a year of that. I wrote like probably over 25 songs and 25 poems in that year. And at this time I was actually only working like two days a week, but yeah, spend the day with my daughter or at work, put her to bed after dinner. And then from 830 to 11, 1130, I would just pour my heart into creativity. And she was very passionate about creativity. So I felt like I was in a way honoring her and her life and what she stood for in pouring my pain into creativity. And then it was just, it gave me peace. It was really nice to take the ugly and make something beautiful out of it. So that's kind of where I started to open my mind creatively, (laughs) creatively that way. Um, But then my husband graduated from pharmacy school and he decided to do two years residency. So we moved out to Arizona for his one year residency. And this was the first time that I had been completely separated from family and from support. And he was very busy. He couldn't really be there for me. And I had a toddler and, you know, she was two and a half to three and a half. And those years are really challenging. And I found myself in this major identity crisis and I didn't have any friends. I didn't have anyone out there to really turn to. And I felt like a message that I kept telling myself was I'm not enough. I'm not enough. I wasn't enough to keep my sister alive. I wasn't enough to, you know, fill in the blanks and I didn't feel like I was enough as a mom. I'd see my daughter have tantrums, like throw a big tantrum. And I'd be like, oh my gosh, it's because I did this, this, and this, and it's all, I'm all to blame and I'm not doing a good job as a mom. And I had extreme mother guilt and my mom would come over sometimes. She visited us time to time that year and my mother-in-law and they would comment on, well, you're so patient with her and wow, you're, you're doing such an excellent job. I didn't believe it. I was like, no, 
because she's having these tantrums, all these things are happening and I'm not enough. And, and I think I had this underlying fear too, of like, I let my sister down. Now, what if I, I let my, my child down who means so much to me. So it's just, again, another layer and moving away from that family support really caused my, my world to kind of crumble a little bit more than it was the previous several years. I started to do therapy because things got really scary and I started to get on an antidepressant and I felt really good. And we moved again for my husband's second year residency. So we picked up and moved to Hillsboro, Oregon. I had pretty good time in Hillsboro. I made some good friends. I felt really good. And then I decided I wanted to get pregnant again. So I got off my medication because I was really convinced that that was, you know, the best thing for me. I wanted to not be on any medication while I was pregnant. And for about six months, I had a great pregnancy. Like overall, it was pretty good. Around six months, I started to feel depression creep back in and all those negative thoughts creep back into my life. And And it got worse. And I was basically feeling like I was drowning. Um, I wasn't sleeping. I had extreme anxiety, but yet I didn't want to take medication, even though I had a husband as a pharmacist that was telling me it's okay. Like I have access to studies that, that show it's really, you know, show it doesn't affect um, that much and untreated depression is worse, but I just was like, Nope, I'm not, I'm doing this on my own. I can, I'm not going to take anything. And I tried to get into a therapist, but it took two months to get in. And by that time I was basically in crisis mode. And mind you, when I lost my sister to suicide, I hadn't ever struggled with any suicidal thoughts. Um, I had mild, anxiety. I had mild depression before, but it wasn't anything that I felt like I needed to have medication to treat or anything like that. It was pretty mild. Um, and I remember thinking there's no way I will struggle with this. Like when my sister died, I was like, I don't, I, I knew I understood her pain to an extent because we had many conversations about it, but I didn't understand the suicidal ideation. I was, it just didn't make sense to me. And then when I was in this place of extreme sleep deprivation and, um, not taking care of myself and, you know, just panic and anxiety, depression, it honestly felt like just an attack. Like it felt like not really a choice. The thoughts that I was having, it was like somebody was screaming in my ear that, the best thing that I could do for my family is leave. The best thing that I could do for my kids is to leave, that they needed a better mom, that they needed somebody stronger, more capable, more loving. You know, the list went on and on and on. And I was small and weak and, you know, all these awful thoughts that I couldn't seem to turn off no matter how hard I tried. Like I felt like I was running a marathon constantly trying to battle these thoughts and they just were consuming. And I, I felt like I was failing in every, every meaning of the word, because not only was I in this really low place, but I was also six months pregnant. So I was like, this is affecting my baby. Like, how dare I bring another child into this world when I'm in such a terrible place. And so I really struggled and it got to the point that I started to experience psychosis to describe psychosis. Some people, when they experience psychosis, don't remember it, don't remember everything. But for me, I remember everything. Um, and the scariest thing is I didn't trust myself and I knew that things were very off. I knew I wasn't thinking reality and psychosis is basically you just lose a sense of reality. And for me, I was, I was stuck in this paranoid place where I felt like the cops were going to come take my kids. They were going to arrest me. I was going to have to deliver my baby in a jail cell. I had this whole story that I believed and was basically just living every day in extreme paranoia of, you know, I'm my life, I'm just going to either go to hell if I die or I'm going to live in hell if I survive. And so it, it went on for about four months and it was, it was pretty insane. I was 
eight months pregnant when I decided, me and my husband decided that I should be hospitalized. And that was a really tricky, really difficult decision. But in the hospital, (laughs) my paranoia actually got worse. I know hospitalization can help a lot of people. And I think it is exactly what I needed because I was able to get back on medications and I was able to, I was able to heal um, in that regard. But yeah, actually being there when I was in a state of paranoia, the specific hospital that I was in was really, really difficult because all of a sudden I was surrounded by the people that I felt like were going to come and arrest me, <laughs> like surrounded by, by these professionals. And I felt like I was being interrogated. Um, so it kind of heightened the paranoia and I wasn't able to sleep a wink for like weeks and weeks and your brain just the human brain cannot function without sleep. And so that, that is definitely a huge reason of like why I attribute my mental state at the time to what it was is lack of sleep for so long. But I basically felt in that, in that mode, in psychosis, that this was going to be my forever, that what I was experiencing was going to last forever. And I wasn't reasonable. My, my, parents and people that I loved would be like, well, you, this isn't your normal. Like you go back to your normal, but I didn't believe that. I was like, no, I've destroyed my life, my kids' lives, my family. Like I destroyed it. And just living in this very scary place of self-hate, self-loathing, feeling just so dark and so no light, no love. Um, I had a friend pass away during that time. And, and I couldn't feel anything. I just felt numb. I couldn't process her death. I couldn't cry. Um, I couldn't, it was just a feeling of darkness and very lost. Um, so yeah, it's, that's the best that I can do to describe that time in my life, but it, it definitely was something that I feel like is indescribable. So I had my son and I was, still in a a state of psychosis when I gave birth. And that was really hard because when I gave birth to my daughter, I was very happy and very, it was a joyful, wonderful experience, but to give birth in that state of mind was not, and it was very scary. Um, and I was still convinced, you know, I'd walk out of the hospital and someone would be there to take my baby away from me and, and handcuff me. And I'd go, um, I'd be put in jail. Like that was my, I really believed in that. And so it was just very terrifying, but I was able to somehow survive thankfully to modern medication, to family members, to friends. And if there's any listeners that know somebody who's going through psychosis, I think what I would tell them is you, this person, if you go through psychosis, you're no longer at a a place where you can make decisions for yourself because, you know, you're living a reality that's not reality. And so you can't make good decisions. And my husband would tell me, you know, it it has to be your choice. Go to the hospital if it's your choice. And he didn't want to take that choice away from me, but it does get to a point if your loved one loses sense of reality you know, I was talking to voices that weren't there. I was not sleeping. I, I was screaming for no reason. I mean, there were just so many signs that like, I wasn't living a reality and, and it's hard to be that person to, to force someone into something, but I wish that I would have gone and gotten help sooner and been hospitalized sooner and been able to get that help months earlier. I feel like that would have just quickened the recovery. Maybe I wouldn't have even had to experience psychosis. Um, So I would just, if you have a friend or family member who's really struggling, get help, take action. Don't just wait for them to take action for themselves. If you need to like take them and, and just, you know, don't try not to be forceful, of course, but, you know, tell them, well, I can drive with you. We can talk to a therapist together. Like I'll be there with you every step of the way. But do what you can to help that person take action because it doesn't just go away usually on its own. And for me, it just got worse and worse and worse until I literally couldn't function at all. I couldn't make myself meals. I couldn't think through a sentence. So anyway, my recovery, I think the medication helped a lot. You know, I, I had family there to help me with my, my sweet son, um, almost 20 months. And he has given me 20 months of just pure joy. Um, so I'm, I'm grateful. I went through a lot of 
spiritual struggle and in my psychosis. And I think this is common to a lot of people. It becomes like an obsession around spirituality. And I was so convinced that God had abandoned me, that I was going to go to hell, that he, his love was not available to me anymore because I had done something absolutely terrible by being in the state that I was while pregnant, that it was unforgivable. And so I delved into research um, when I started to get out of my psychosis and I was like, okay, well, maybe these thoughts that I'm having are not true. And I started to question them. I read something that really helped me feel connected to God's love and to understand that his love is not conditional, that it is completely unconditional. And that those lies that I was believing were, were mere lies. They were just that they were lies. I had just this realization and I had faith, a lot of faith in a loving God to heal me. And that was when my transformation started to happen is when I started to apply that. And I started to really believe that, that in my brokenness, in my, you know, I, I felt like I was the exception to love that I was a one person in the world that could not be loved or accepted by God. And I had to change that, um, because that was, that's always been very important to me, my relationship with God. And so I realized that he is unconditional love. And that is something that we can't relate to a human. And unfortunately, a lot of people, I think, relate their ability to, you know, God's ability to love them with a person, a person's ability to love them, a boyfriend, a spouse, a parent. It's more than that. It's, it's more than human love. And it is truly unconditional for me to comprehend that and to connect with that love and to believe that he had the power to heal me. Um, because I knew for me in that state, no matter what I did, it was out of my control. I couldn't heal myself. And I knew that for me. Um, I know other people have different stories, but I needed something outside of myself. I didn't have the power to change by myself. I, I knew it. And so to just exercise that kind of faith and belief that he did and could help me heal. That was monumental in my healing. And then every day, um, I have a brother who's also struggled with depression and he has fought hard to get out of it. And he told me something during this time of my life. And he said, if you just focus on instead of just fighting back at that darkness, that's consuming you. If you focus on turning on a light, just focus on one thing that you can do every day to improve. Um, then you can you can feel more and more of that light. And so I really started to apply that in my prayers. I would I would just every day focus. Okay, what's one thing, Heavenly Father, that I can do today to experience peace and light and to experience healing? And whatever came to my mind. And a lot of different things came to my mind, but whatever it was, I would write it down and I would make that my number one priority of the day. Just if I could just focus on that one good thing. And it was amazing how quickly, once I started to do that, how quickly I experienced change. And it was almost like God was saying, because before my prayers were like, heal me, God, save me, God, like I'm drowning. Why aren't you helping me? Like, get me out of this water. You do the work. And I've learned that for me, God doesn't work that way, that he's, he's not going to lift me up out of the water. He's going to tell me, okay, this is how you swim. You know, this is, this is how you move your arms, kick your feet. This is how you get yourself to the top. And I'm going to be here for you every step of the way, but I'm not going to do it for you. You know, that's not how agency works. That's not how our, our ability to choose works. He can't just rescue us all the time. He does sometimes, but not very often. So I, I had to learn that and it was a process. But the moment I started, I stopped trying to fight the darkness and I started to focus on what's one thing that I can do every day to experience growth and healing and change. Then I, yeah, again, it was as quick, you know, within several months, I found myself radiating joy again. Um, none of those negative thoughts were there anymore. And, and, it wasn't all that. I mean, I feel my perception is that God 
place people and things in my life to help me get to that place. And when I was focusing on change and growth, he helped me in that direction. And so I do believe medication was essential. I believe, you know, I was doing therapy that was essential and I was opening up and, and journaling and different things. I had different tools to help me get to where I am now. And I'm not perfect. Obviously none of us are. So of course I still have my ups and downs, but things are, I feel joy every day. And my, I just immense gratitude because I know what it feels like to not be able to feel love and to not be able to feel any of that light. And now I'm just so grateful for every glimmer of light that I experience and every conversation I can have and every feeling of love that I have from God, that I feel from him and that I feel from other people and that I can give to other people. Do you feel like my struggles, I've learned what I've needed to learn through them and how the podcast came to be. Sorry. I feel like I'm just talking, talking, talking your ear off, (laughs) not leaving like any room for you to speak at all. (laughs) No, this is amazing story. It's, it's just so ironic how much I can relate. I'm just hearing you and I'm just nodding going, yep, yep. (laughs) Been there, done that, you know? And I wonder how many other people are just hearing this going, yep. That's exactly yeah. how I feel. And so to focus on the one thing that brings light every day yeah. is the best idea. A lot of people call it gratitude or writing yeah. what you're grateful for, but I love how you kind of put that twist on it and just do one thing that brings light. Yeah. And it's that simple. It does yeah. change and get away the darkness. It does. Yeah. It. Because then you're not drowning in hopelessness saying, save right. me, save me. Yes. You're focusing on what can I do? What can I do to get myself out of this, to better my circumstances, to better my thoughts or whatever it might be. Um, And then you realize how good it is. Yeah, exactly. You're not in that darkness. You have that mindset change of I can change, I can heal, I can grow instead of I'm this way forever, I'm hopeless. And the way that this pod, the podcast that I have came to be is when I was in psychosis, I remember Googling. Dr. Google is awful when you are paranoid. Like, do not do it. Don't do it (laughs) for any any No, I was, I would stay up all night Googling Mm -hmm. like, oh, how is my child going to end up? You know, how am I going to end up? All of the things that I found on Google were negative, negative, negative. And it just confirmed my concerns. And I would read stuff like, Oh, like don't get help if you have mental health because, or mental illness, because then the CPS will come to your house and, and take your kids away. And unfortunately it's the people that try and get help that, that end up in prison. And so I would find these things online and then it would just confirm my paranoia of what was going to happen. So yeah, don't go to Google. (laughs) There are very trustworthy people out there that want to help you. And these things are becoming more and more common. I feel like, or at least more and more talked about the mental illness stuff. And so anyway, yeah, yeah, thank goodness. Um, So I remember just Googling, Googling and finding nothing. And what I was wanting to find, I wanted to find one story that I could relate to that I could be like, yes, that is my story. I, this person has been as low as I've been, but Hey, they've got out. Okay. Like I wanted a story of hope and I wasn't finding that. And so when I experienced the healing that I've experienced in my life, I've decided, first of all, I was terrified of speaking in in front of people. And I decided in my healing and growth that I was going to join a club called Toastmasters, where you can speak in front of people. and, And it's an amazing worldwide club. So if you struggle with public speaking, look up Toastmasters because chances are they have a local club. I found my voice in that. I found that I really like talking about my story and I like sharing things that I've created in the, in the pain and in the darkness. And a lot of the anxiety kind of melted away. I would post my, my speeches on my, my social media. And I had a friend tell me if you had a podcast, I would listen. I was like, huh, a podcast, that would be really interesting. And it just got me thinking about it. And I thought, well, I'm going to do it. So the title of my podcast is lighting the shadows. And that comes from the idea of one light at a time and having conversations that are difficult to have, um, bringing dark things into light so that they don't look so scary anymore. And so I, I share a lot of my story on the show, interview people that have inspirational stories who have been through the darkness are now at the other side, shining a light down the tunnel, um, trying to help people out of their own darkness. And it's been a great journey for me. I'm still a newbie at podcasting, but 
I found a lot of joy in it. I am so glad you found your voice because I really think people can relate to what you're saying. And I really think they do need that support. And just to know that somebody else relates to them. I think that is huge when we're in that darkness to know that we're not alone Yeah, and we don't reach out because we think we're alone and the voices tell us that nobody cares about us. And so we're just darker and darker and deeper and deeper. And hopefully people can start reaching out and listening to podcasts and trying to find, I know every day I look forward to just listening to something uplifting as well, music, podcasts, whatever I can find scriptures. I don't know anything that I can find each morning to start my day with like something fresh and uplifting. I love it. I, I have just fallen in love with podcasting because I feel like it's so good for me and my own journey and my own healing and growth. And, and just the fact, like my idea when I entered the podcasting world was if my story can reach one person that was where I was or where my sister was, I, I mentioned in the episode with Cameron, your son, that her suicide note said, I don't want to live 80 years like this. And that's how I felt in my, when I was suicidal, you know, I felt like I don't want to do this to my family forever. And that's the hopelessness. That's the drowning. You know, things aren't going to get better. Things are always going to be this way, whether you have a diagnosis or just a really big struggle. But I believe everyone, nobody is exempt from change. And I remember reading a scripture that said no one is exempt from from change, from God's love, from the ability to experience healing. Um, And that stuck with me during that time. And and I think that that's, that's just a message that I want to give, you know, every episode is that I do on other people's shows and that on my show is that there's always hope no matter who you are, what you're going through, the lowest of lows, whatever it might be, there is hope. Change is the only constant. That's the, the only thing that we can truly rely on is change. And so, so therefore things will change and they will change for the better, but it does sometimes take, usually take action. Things will change a lot quicker in the right direction if you can have, take that action and look mm-hmm. for those lights. So, yeah, I love that. That's so true. I know when I'm in my darkest and, and that suicidal thought, my thought you were saying, what your sister was saying is she doesn't want to keep living like that. Mine was more, I don't want people to have to deal with me or see me. That was mine. Yeah. That was totally mine. I was Especially more concerned about everyone else. Yeah. I'm like, I yeah. don't want my kids to have to see me anymore. Yep. My husband, I'm going to do everybody a favor and yeah. tap out because yeah. I love them so much. Exactly. It was I like out of love. To yeah. A twisted yeah. way because you're not so loving twisted. yourself, no. but it's like, you're putting everyone's needs before your own for so long. And then you feel like when you're crumbling, that you're not able to feel everybody's needs. Right. Um, so then and it becomes a, okay, off. it's better off, better, off. better off without me. Yeah. Yeah. That is and a I did, bad place to be. It is. It yeah. is. And it's I did true. have an, anybody listening. Not no, true. it's not. not <laughs> yes. And As I those did have who have been experience. left behind, like we're the ones I I've been left behind from a suicide. You've been yeah. left behind from a suicide. And so we can live the other way. No, that yeah. is not the answer. That does not help the people left behind. Yeah, exactly. That doesn't make anybody happy. It doesn't no. make anybody's life better. So no. just stick around because yes. you can offer so much more than what leaving will do. Yes, definitely. And I remember having those thoughts very, very vividly, very clearly yeah. in my mind, I would be better off. I remember sitting in the hospital, thinking of ways that I could die and, um, contemplating that. And fortunately I, I had this experience that really rang so true to me when I was in that state of fear and state of feeling like, yeah, that was the best option. I almost was given like a alternate reality of, okay, so if this is the way you go, If you decide, you know, which again, I have so much empathy for people who do choose suicide because I know the pain and I know the reality of that. And, um, it is a very, very, very hard, hard struggle. Um, it's a real place you get to, it's a real place. It is a real place. I think it is just a miracle that I'm still here today. Um, but Going back to that, when I was in that place, I had this experience where 
I was like, okay, so if I go down this road, this is what will happen. And for me, it was like I visualized in that moment that I would have to be there and watch my kids without being able to really be there. And I would be, you know, maybe a spiritual presence that had to watch them have to go through the pain and suffer me not being there. And then I'd I'd need to face them after they died. You know, it wasn't like I could just choose to not be their mom. Um, It wasn't like I could just, okay, I'm going to hand this responsibility to someone else. Um, And I want to be really careful in sharing this because I know lots of people have um, different experiences around that. But this was for me, my experience. That would be my reality if, if I chose suicide. And even though I was truly doing it out of, you know, I wanted to protect my family. I wanted the best for my family. I realized having that experience that, yeah, I couldn't just decide I'm not going to be these kids' mom. I'm their mom and I will have to face them someday. Maybe they'd give my, maybe they'd give me compassion and maybe God would give me compassion. And I believe in a very compassionate, loving God. But what about me? would I be able to give myself that compassion? I realize now that I'm out of it. I cherish every moment with those beautiful kids and I can't imagine not being a part of their lives. And I'm so eternally grateful that I get to be that person in their life, that I'm still here today and that I get to teach my daughter how to read and I get to watch my son learn how to walk and I get to be there for them as long as I, I can in life. Um, and it's such a precious gift, but I think in that moment, in those moments of extreme depression and darkness and anxiety and whatever it might be, mental challenges, we're convinced that that's, that's not a blessing, that life isn't a gift, that it's awful, that it's terrible and miserable. But I've learned now it's, it's not, it truly is a gift that we just have dark times that we need to endure through. I've decided now when I'm in those dark times, I'm going to do everything that I can to, to get help, to get help from other people, to get help from resources. And when I'm out of them, I want to do everything that I can to help people. You know, it's, we're not meant to do life alone. We're either helping others or receiving help ourselves. And that's the way it should be learning how to rely on each other as, as well as, you know, finding our own voice and, and doing what we can to help other people. And it's a, it's a give and a take throughout our lives. And, and you start by finding that one thing a day, you know, that one light. So I think, I think you're on the great path and it's good that you recognized it and it's good that you can remember where you're at so that you can share that and relate with others. Cause that's important is to not just be like, Oh, I think that would be hard. No, you've been there you've experienced it, you've come out of it, you can remember how it was to be there. And so it's really important that you share that encouragement with other people, because people need it more than ever now. And we need everyone, we need everyone to hang in there, stick around. Everyone's needed. Everyone's loved. You might not feel like it today. You might be in a dark place. That's okay. It's another day tomorrow. Yeah. And I truly believe, you know, just find that help, find those tools and you'll look back on your life and be like, I am so glad. I am so grateful that I did not give up. Yes. I kept going just one step after another. And I remember in that moment, in those moments of darkness, feeling like, oh, I just can't, I can't do anything. I can't, I can't even make my daughter dinner right now. Like I, I literally, my brain doesn't, it wasn't functioning. And that was very, very difficult to experience because I hated having to rely on anybody else. And I hated the fact that I could not do it, but progress, you know, progress, it, progress will happen if you seek after it. And I'm, I'm at a point where I'm very high functioning yeah. and, and I'm, I'm able to look back and say, okay, that was just a time, just that was a, a moment, exactly. just a moment in eternity. Yes. And it felt so real and so all encompassing and like, it was going to destroy every little thing, but yeah. there's ups and downs. We just of all course. go through ups and downs in yeah. the roller coaster of life. So right. yeah, hang in there through those yeah. downs. And I would like to share a song with you. It speaks to taking the struggle and finding your way out of it, mm-hmm. um, finding your way through. Um, the chorus is take the noose off of your neck, 
use the rope to climb up out of the pit that's been dug. I changed, I just changed the lyrics just now, actually, when I was thinking about sharing this song with everybody before. So I wrote it before I struggled. And the chorus was, take the noose off of your neck, use the rope to climb up out of the the pit that you've dug. And thinking about it now from my perspective, I don't feel like it's always something that we do. Mental illness is not something that we choose. Um, It just kind of happens through trauma, through different things. You can find yourself in that pit. I had so much, so much guilt in it because I really felt like I've dug this. I did this. I did this to myself. I did this to my family. Like, how dare I? How could I? But I look back at myself now with so much compassion and see myself as a warrior of someone that was doing everything I possibly could to get out of that pit. But it was the shame of I dug it that kept me inside of it. And so now I've changed that chorus to the pit that's been dug um, in whatever way it's been dug. I think it can be so hard to get out of those pits when you experience so much self-blame and self-hate and self, you know, I, it's all on me. It's all on me. It's really not. There's so many aspects to it, hormones and um, trauma and genetics and things that are outside of your control that have created the pit. So um, yeah. So I just wanted to preface the song that I'll send you with that message of, you know, it's, it's not, I had to change those lyrics after I experienced it because I realized, no, like I didn't dig this pit. I wouldn't have chosen this for myself. This is just something that has happened. And I'm going to, I'm going to use what I can to get out of it. I love that. That's perfect. And it's interesting, you know, like you said, use the rope that it was around your neck because it's hard to think of using kind of our problems or what got us there as our way out. Yeah. But that is, you know, kind of, yeah facing those, changing those, reframing those, turning yeah. into something you can learn from and grow from and you can climb right out. Yeah. You can, you can yeah. use it for your benefit and not yeah. to keep going deeper. You can, you can reframe it. So I love that. Yeah, That's great, for sure. great message. That's, I wouldn't be doing the podcast if I didn't struggle with mental illness. I wouldn't be making these connections that I'm making. Um, and, and two, I think the mom guilt. Um, I just did an episode on this. And so it's fresh on my mind, but we have this mom guilt very, very often. So my kids can't see me in this negative place. Like I can't let them see me so vulnerable and so weak and have them see me cry or whatever it might be. But I think we almost gift our kids with that because then they see, oh, my mom's not perfect or my mom feels sad too. And it's okay if I'm sad. And then not only that, but now we have empathy for our kids because oftentimes they go through a similar, similar challenges as we do. And so now we can understand them better and we can say, okay, like, oh, you're struggling with anxiety. Oh, I, I feel you. I understand. This is my experience when I was this age and, and it's, it helps them to feel like they're not alone. And so that it's, it's more than wisdom. It's, it's the ability to connect with people who we love, who might be experiencing similar challenges. Just be real. Just be who you are. Yeah. 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 I love that. That's great. No more mom guilt. We don't need that. (laughs) No, (laughs) that's terrible. No more shame. (laughs) No more shame. No more guilt. You're doing the best you can and you're going to do better as soon as you learn anything different. So just give yourself a break. And there's purpose in the pain, purpose in the struggle. Yeah, that's exactly it. And let your kids see that it's okay Yeah, because you will have a better connection with your kids. If they don't think that you're perfect and you wouldn't understand a mom doesn't understand, you know, she doesn't have any problems. She's never sad. Mm -hmm. I mean, come on, you don't want your kids thinking that either. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Lighting the shadows podcast. So they can find more of you there and your inspiration and you're just so uplifting and appreciate you sharing stuff. So personal. This is a lot and, um, you're so vulnerable to share it. And I know people can relate to this and you can be a light in their life that they can just do one more day can get through. So one day, one step at a time. It's worth it. It's totally worth it. So thank you. Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure. I look forward to hearing your song. I'll put it at the end 
of our recording here. So that'll okay. be great. Fantastic. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. And good luck with all you do. You're on the right path. You're doing Thanks. good things. So Thanks. Right yeah. back at you. You're going to light the world. So <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Those silent words in your mind cut deep like knives time after time. There it is again, as black as the night. As dark as the shadow that's consumed your life The searing pain, the crushing blows Obliteration of truth and hope Gasping for air, emptiness surrounds You're letting go Hold on, let go Hold on Take the noose off of your neck Use a rope to climb It's not a pit, but